Well, my friends, our given month of Black history is just about at its end. And this is probably the last show that I get to do in this prestigious month. But if the Lord willing and the creek don't rise, Black History Moments with Bo will be here 11 months from now to bring it back to you with both barrels smoking. It is amazing how some people think that before slavery we had no history, when in fact slavery interrupted our history. And even with all the degrees in the world, you'll remain miseducated until you learn the true history of our African ancestors. And here's another true African fact for you. Without your own cultural identity, you become anything that they tell you you are. Do you get that? And my friend Malcolm, whose movie will go back into the canister after this month has passed, stated that it's no accident that such a high state of culture existed in Africa, and you and I know nothing about it. And you know what else, my friend? They stole our story, personified themselves into it, then sold it back to us. And you know what? We bought it. They told us things like most of Africa is jungle, and most Africans lived in primitive tribes, or that 400 years ago, Africans did not have a written language. And the damnedest of it all is that white people brought civilization to Africa. Now, my friends, I'm going to tell you a story about an African by the name of Gustavus Vassi. Now, Vassi was born in Benin in West Africa. When he was about 11 years old, he was captured by slave traders and taken hundreds of miles from his home. When he arrived on the coast, he was sold to white men who put him on a slave ship. He was taken to America and sold several times. And you see, up to this point, Vassie's story is much like that of about 10 million Africans, except that Sir Vassie survived the living hell of the slave ship. But after that, his damn story changed because Vassa was taught to read and write and later was able to earn enough money to buy his own freedom. And my friends, I'm going to screw up some of these African names, but please bear with me. And I'm going to tell you how he found friends in England, and he was able to publish his story. And his story goes something like this. The kingdom of Benin is divided into many districts. And I was born in one of the villages furthest from the capital. The distance from the capital and the sea coast must have been great because I had never heard of white men, the sea, or Europe before I was captured. My people had little to do with the king of Benin. As far as I can tell, all of the government was run by chiefs or elders of my village. What happens in one village and family is pretty typical for the whole nation. Let me tell you of my life in Africa. 
You see, my father was one of those elders or chiefs that I just mentioned. In our language, he was called Embrenchi. It meant a grand person. And they decided disputes and punished crimes. On such times, they gathered together. The trials were usually short. They followed the law of retaliation. I can remember a man who was brought before my father. He was accused of kidnapping a boy. And although he was the son of a chief, he was ordered to pay back with a man or a woman slave. When the women of our village is not farming, they spin, weave cotton, dye it, and make it into clothes. They also make many different kinds of pottery. You see, our way of living was very plain. Our food was mainly cows, goats, and chickens or ducks. And these meats were the main wealth of our country and are used to trade. Our vegetables are mainly yams, beans, and Indian corn. Our wants are few and easily supplied. And we manufacture a few items such as cloth, pottery, and tools for war or farming. We also make these things for ourselves and do not sell. Money is of little use, although we do have some small pieces of coin. But we also have markets at which I have often gone with my mother. Our land is usually rich and fruitful. Agriculture is our main work, and even women and children help farm. Thus we are all used to work from our earliest years. Everyone contributes something for the common good. No one is idle, and we have no beggars. We are a nation of dancers, musicians, and poets. Every great event, such as a victory in battle, is celebrated in public dances. Songs and music is made that fits the occasion. People are always making new dances for new events. This gives our dance a spirit which I have never seen elsewhere. We have simple manners and few luxuries. The dress of men and women are the same. There is generally a long piece of cloth wrapped around the body. It is usually dyed blue, which is our favorite color. The dye is taken from a berry and much brighter and richer than any other I have seen. The head of the family usually eats alone. His wives and slave also have separate tables. Before we taste food, we always wash our hands. After washing our hands, an offering to the spirits is made by pouring a small part of the drink on the floor. Then food is put in a certain place for the spirits of our departed relatives. We never forget the dead. They watch over us, and we watch over them. We believe that there is a creator of all things, and that he lives in the sun. We believe that he controls the fates. We have never heard of a life ever after in heaven, but there are some in my village who believe that the soul goes into another body. Those spirits don't enter another body such as a close relative, 
but help guard us from the bad spirits of our enemies. Africa, the world's largest continent, then included and still does many different social groups. Each of these groups have developed its own way of life, its own culture. There are striking differences among the groups in height, built, and color of skin. There are equally striking differences in social organization. Long before the New World was discovered, a number of African societies, among them the West African kingdoms of Gaha, Milin, and Songhe, had reached a high degree of civilization. For example, the ancient city of Ghana, from which the modern nation of Ghana has taken its name, flourished for centuries. It reached the peak of its power 500 years before Columbus discovered America. Under the Negro king, Axe the Great, the two cities of Ninin and Timbuktu became trading and intellectual centers whose fame spread from Spain, North Africa, and the Middle East. Muslim businessmen, statesmen, and scholars traveled to the cities of this African empire regularly. At the same time, scholars from the university located in Timbuktu won fame for their words. They visited and served as professors at the University of Fez, Tunis, and Cairo. Another level of high development was the Ashanti Kingdom of the Gold Coast. When the first British mission visited Ashanti capital in 1817, the British were surprised to see the level of culture the Negroes had established. The British saw a well-organized society with trained soldiers and an elaborate social life. They saw the high craftsmanship of the Negroes revealed in beautiful woven silk robes and skillfully designed jewelry. That, my friends, was the story of Gustav Vassa. You see, we were somebodies before 1619. Now I'm going to tell you about Malcolm X's African history. You see, the U.S. history textbooks in Malcolm X's school days had no chapters which emphasized the many fine qualities of African culture, city, and civilizations. In the following passage, this African-American leader claims that there was a conscious decision by whites to deny blacks of their African heritage. And this, my friends, is what he said. They should have put it in the headlines so that we could wake black people up. And our people know that white man knows that he didn't just get us out of the jungle. He didn't get us out of some place that was savage. He got us out of a place that was highly civilized in culture and in arts, and then brought us down to the level that you see us today. But they are afraid to let us know what level we are on. They'll tell the Africans because they know the Africans know it but they don't want you and me to know it. Because the first thing that you and I would start asking them is, well, what did you do to us? And if you find out, then you'll want to do it to him. Europeans taught for centuries that Africa had no written history. 
literature or philosophy, claiming Egypt was other than African. When roughly one million manuscripts were found in Timbuktu, covering all the fields of human knowledge, law, the sciences, medicine, it did not make mainstream news as did the lies taught by Europeans concerning Africa. Well, my friends, <laughs> that music tells me that it is once more that time. But I gotta tell you, Timbuktu is one of the cities that is at the top of my bucket list. There's nothing in Europe that I ever want to see again. So before I go, I must leave you with one more message. And it goes like this. In order for the few to control the many, the few must conceal true history and hoard true knowledge while indoctrinating the commoner with clever fairy tales to ensure that fiction becomes truth and truth becomes fiction. Have a good day, my friends. And until next time, it has been my honor.